If you have your Bible, we're in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we're in uh, James chapter 3 today. Uh, so today is a kind of a busy day and, um, in the world of Eastwood, in the life of Eastwood. Um, what a great way to start worship today uh, with, with baptism, then have our student praise team. Uh, we're going to have potluck, praise the Lord. Um, I kind of feel like that's what heaven's always going to be like with the banquet table. is just going to be potluck. And uh, it's going to be everything you like and nothing that you don't. That's what the best thing is about it. I kind of figured it's like um, in the movie Hook. Remember in Hook when there's, there's a table full of nothing and all of a sudden they have to, if, whatever they can visualize, it's all there. And it's there for, so it could be different. For, I think it's, but whatever it is, it's going to be potluck. It's going to be the best things that, uh, that we could actually offer. It's going to be awesome. Uh, today we're also... Um, at the end of our service, we're going to have a really brief business meeting, and for those of you who are guests with us today, we're grateful you're here. It's going to be really brief, really, really short, because uh, we'll be having uh, uh, just a moment where we vote on our uh, youth pastor candidate, who you guys were introduced to last week and then had the opportunity to meet, and so he'll be, uh, we'll be voted as Jeremy Hemming and his family, his wife is over here, and their kiddos are here, and we're excited about that. So it's going to happen briefly. Right after that, it's food time. Uh, we're going to celebrate not only him and our guests who are here. It's the time for us all to come together. So it's a lot to pack in over the next um, few minutes, but we're going we're gonna to make it happen, I promise. So pin your ears back, listen fast, and we're going to rock and roll. James chapter 3 is where we are today. How many of y'all, when you were a kid, you learned this saying? I'm not sure. We never taught it to our kids, but it was taught to me. And you guys can help me out. Sticks and stones can break my bones. But words will never hurt me. I don't know if I was, if my parents taught me that or if it was learned in school or whatever. I know I didn't teach it to my kids because I think the statement is foolish. And I don't want to teach my kids foolishness. Because how many of y'all would honestly, let's be honest with one another, would rather have a broken bone than a bad word said about you in any way? I would. Like, for crying out loud, I can't, I can't remember all the bones I've broken. I won't show my, my finger, but you can take a look at my finger sometime. I broke a pinky. It kind of points the wrong direction. Playing basketball, I've broken tailbones. I've... I've cracked um, vertebrae, I've broken a wrist, a collarbone, like, I'm, a, I don't, I'm not saying I'm a walking miracle, but I'm, it's, things happen, right? And uh, I've got a, my hand broke right here, so there's all kinds of things that have happened, but I would much rather, honestly, have a broken bone than somebody say anything negative, because I guarantee you, I don't necessarily remember how some of these injuries happen, but I remember almost every single negative word that's ever been said about me. And I think more than likely, many of us are the same way, because words hurt, and they sting. And so we're here in this series, um, Genuine Faith series, walking through the book of James. And we're asking, what does it look like to live a life of genuine faith? If you just kind of remember back a few weeks, or want to hang a left in, in your Bible a little bit, James chapter 1, verse 26, James here says, um, in, in the, kind of the introduction of his book, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This, person, uh, this person's religious, uh, religion is worthless. And so James here, all throughout the book of James, we've, we've likened it to the book of Proverbs as well. If you look in the book of Proverbs over and over and over and over and over again, you see um, um, the, 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 the different proverb writers. They, they, you see them uh, talking about how it is that we are to control our tongues. You know, there's some really funny ones. When I remember in high school looking around at all the funny verses in, in the book of Proverbs, there's some great ones. But basically, um, my favorite one is if you, you know, you don't control your tongue, then your mouth is going to invite a beating. And I remember that uh, quite often as a, as a high schooler thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that because if I get punched in the face for what I say, then it's deserved. Um, and so we're talking about what does it mean to, what does it look like to have a genuine faith? Well, a genuine faith 
um, is seen in our ability to control our words. And so James writes extensively on this. Now, he motors pretty fast through this stuff. It's pretty quick because he just gives example after example after example. And so we'll hopefully be able to move through it fairly quick. But if you have your Bible, James chapter 3, and if, you have, if you're able to, let's stand together and let's read James chapter 3, 1 through 12 together. James here writes, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is a forest set ablaze by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the time that we can read your word, the privilege that we have to be within these walls with one another and to be challenged. So I pray, God, your Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, that we'd be challenged, and the Lord, that we leave this place today different. So God, may you work in and through us for our good and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, genuine faith is seen in our ability to control our tongue. So when it comes to our words, we see in verse 1 here that we have a warning to look at. Take a look at verse, uh, verse 1. Not many of you, this is again, this is a plural, talking to the church, the congregation, the people who, in which he, he is addressing, should become teachers, my brothers. What is happening here? Teachers back in, uh, back in the, the first century church, majority of the people that were in their congregations couldn't read, so a teacher had great authority in what was being spoken and what was being said. So they could sway the whole crowd, basically, by what was saying. So if he had a particular soapbox he wanted to step up on, he could set up, get up on the soapbox and he could say what he wanted to say. And because people couldn't read and they didn't know any better, they just pretty much would believe whatever he had to say. And so he says, he looks at it, he says, not many of you, not many of you should become teachers. Well, why shouldn't they become teachers? Well, again, the context, they're, they're, the people are illiterate. They, they're not able to read the, for, um, the scriptures, what's being proclaimed uh, on their own. He says, because he, he answered the question, we shouldn't become teachers. Why? For you know that, though, that we who teach, we, he's bringing himself into this as well, uh, James says, we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Why? Why is he going to be judged with a greater strictness? Is because those in the business of talking, where we have a job where they primarily use the most difficult thing to control, that being our tongues, the words, they expose themselves to a greater danger of judgment because they carry so much responsibility for the spiritual welfare of those to whom they minister. 
and therefore they will be judged much closely. The world is not forgiving to people who, uh, who misspeak. I mean, our current climate, right, you could, you, I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter uh, whatever you say. There's very little forgiveness in what you say. People have no grace for you have to be perfect every single time. Why? Because these people who stand up, whether it's a politician, whether it's a preacher, whoever it is, they just have, they use words all the time. And because they speak all the time, um, they're going to mess up. I have a lot of grace for people who speak for a living. Why? Because I've stood up here in, in many circles, and I've said some things that I shouldn't say, and probably will by the time this is done, say some things I shouldn't say, and, um, or didn't intend to say, I should say. Um, and it's, it's because we use words all the time. And so those of us who teach all the time, we are responsible for the spiritual welfare of those who are listening to the words, and therefore they will be held to a higher standard. They will be judged more severely on the day of judgment. So James is very clear saying that those of us who teach, so if you're teaching a Sunday school class, any type of a Bible study, whether you stand in arenas like this and you proclaim the gospel to people eager to listen to the gospel, we have to be held, we have to be careful because we will be held to a higher standard. We'll be held to a greater, uh, in greater uh, accountability for what it is that we are saying. So we have to, therefore, make sure that whatever we are teaching and proclaiming is truth because at one point in the judgment, we will be held accountable for what it is that we say. So for those of us who teach or those of us who aspire to teach, we're talking about God's word. We must, we, it must be taken seriously what happens. So many people will stand up here. They're, you know, we, ha, we have a joke, at least in the student ministry world, that we oftentimes uh, will, 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 will read our uh, Sunday school material at stoplights on the way to, to church that day. It's, we hope that we hit the lights, but the only time ever, so we can get our sermon or our, um, our Bible study in order because uh, we didn't do it the night before, and so long lights, we can do it, and so we get there, and we don't take it terribly serious when all reality, regardless of whether or not they're, they're uh, an infant or whether they're um, a thousand years old, we're responsible for carefully teaching the Word of God to those who sit underneath our teaching. There's great influence in our words, and we're going to be held accountable for every word that we use. As a matter of fact, Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, um, verse 36, um, this is Jesus talking, says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So those of us who teach or who aspire to teach, we have to understand that we're going to be given, we're going to be held in a, we're going to be held accountable for the words that we say, for what comes out during these moments. It's going to be held accountable. So, what does that mean for us, though, as a church? Many of us in here, we're not going to teach. We have no desire to teach. We do, we want to sit under good teaching, hopefully good teaching. What does that mean for us? Is that means as a church that we have to have great discernment when it comes to listening to those who we listen to their teaching. Timothy says in uh, 2 Timothy verse 4, or chapter 4 verse 3, he says, for there will be a time 
when they, the church, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So, he, so Timothy is sitting, he said, what's going to happen here is if we don't guard our teaching, if we don't, as, as a church, sit there and hold those uh, uh, who teach accountable for what they're teaching with us, all we really, all we desire, there'll be a day where all we desire is to have our ears tickled, to just be able to be told what it is that we want to hear, not what God is telling us we need to hear. We see this every single day on TV. You can watch it on TV. You can find different preachers. We're not going to go into names or anything like that. But all they're doing is the tickling of the ears. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who gather every day in rooms like this and worship just like this who are just merely having their ears tickled with the things that they want to hear. I love being told that I'm good. I love being told that I'm great. I love being encouraged. I love when... When Pastor Dave comes and we have a conversation, it's just, it's just an encouraging moment because he's an encourager. I love being encouraged, and I love those people. I love those moments. But there are times when I need somebody to look me in the face and say, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is unbiblical. What you're doing is not living in accordance to Scripture. I need these moments when we can sit there and be honest and truthful. I don't want my ears tickled. I don't, want the, I don't want my kids hearing things that aren't biblical. Just make themselves feel better about themselves. I need encouragement, but I need, I need. I need somebody to tell me, more importantly, God's word to tell me, that I'm not good, that I am a sinner in need of a savior. That's what I need, and that is what you need. That is what my kids need. That's what my grandkids are going to need. That's what my grandparents need, and my great parents needed at the time was for somebody to come and say, listen, you're not that good. Because you're not that good, Jesus died for you. And we don't like to hear it. We, we think that if we just keep telling people that everything is great and everything is fine while the house burns down behind them, like everything is going to be great. No, it's not. All we want is our ears tickled. And then what happens? They accumulate for themselves teacher, teachers in accordance to their own desires. So we have to, as a church, we have to, un, we have to avoid unbiblical foolishness. We have to avoid false teachers. But how is it that we discern who is teaching foolishness? How is it that we do that? Well, we do, I mean, the easiest way possible, right, is we have to know the Bible ourselves. So in order for us to sit there and to know whether or not somebody is teaching foolishness or heresy, is we have to know what it says. And we have to get into the Word. We have to read it. So that when we hear something, when somebody says something like Jesus and Satan are brothers, you go, what, what, what? I don't know about that. And there are people that believe that. But you sit there and you go, hmm, I don't know, like, whoop. that's a big one. Everybody should, you hear that one, you're just kind of like, eh, <laughs> I've only been in church a week, but I don't know, that's kind of weird. Like, that, it should pique your mind. Why? Because you know what this is about. Because we know what this is about. Take, for instance, anybody ever been to D.C.? I love D.C. We love Washington, D.C. It's one of my favorite places. Um, 
to go mainly because it's a lot of it's free. And when you have a lot of kids, you can take them in, you can go like, oh, look at all this stuff, it's great, it didn't cost me a dime, it's great, it's wonderful. But when you go to the, uh, you go to the Mint, uh, the National Mint there in D.C., and you can go and you can take a tour and it's really, really cool, and they've got, uh, you, you see that they, they're printing money, and it's really cool, they got it all banded, and they have somebody, this, 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 um, like these random checks of, of, of bills come out, and they've got somebody that sits there and they thumbs through like a, hundred, a pack of hundreds, right? Whatever, and they, they're fanning through it. And what I'm asking, I asked them what they said, well, what, what is that person doing? They're just fanning through it all. Like, well, they're looking for counterfeits, looking for stuff that's not made right. And I was like, how do they even know? Like, what is, what is wrong? Like, messed up. And he goes, well, because they know what the dollar is supposed to look like or whatever that particular bill is is supposed to look like. They can tell when anything is wrong. And so when they teach people how to spot a counterfeit bill, they don't, they don't teach them how to spot the counterfeits. They teach them what the bill is supposed to look like. And they do that, why? So that when they see something that is out of line, they can say, that's not right. And as Christians, as Baptists, people formerly known as people of the book, we should know what the Bible has to say so when we, see, when we hear or we see something that is wrong, we can sit there and go, eh, that's not right. I'm going to step up, I'm going to back up from that. So if we know the real thing, if we know the real thing, we'll be able to spot the counterfeit. So when it comes to our words, we have a warning to look at. So we talked about the warning us is for us teachers. Those who teach, just understand that you get into this realm, you're going to be judged. Why? Because we're going to be judged for every word that we have to speak. It's going to be judged a little bit more stricter. So we have a warning to look at here, verse 1. But then also we have a journey to look toward. James chapter 2, or sorry, James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble, this kind of implies there's this movement in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle or to control his whole body. So James here is saying, listen, if you can control this one thing, if you can control this one thing, the tongue, what the words that you say, the things that come out of your mouth, then you have enough self-control that you obviously can control your entire body entire body. It's with this statement, um, uh, it's, it's easy to see that James believes the ability to control one's tongue is a mark of extreme spiritual maturity. So how is it you know if you're walking in faith? How is it that you know that you're growing in your faith and loving Jesus? Well, one of the easiest markers is the words that you say. When I was 16 years old, I was saved. Um, grew up in an unchurched home, um, you know, basically, if you wanted, uh, if you looked up sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle, um, like, my family picture was right there. Like, that's what, that's the life that I grew up in. And um, it, l- some craziness, didn't go to church, um, knew it was a decent idea to go to church, but the Lord started transforming my heart in around middle school and started getting into church. We started going to church. My family did, and it, it, it really just captured my heart. The people did, and so I continued to, to go. And when I was about 16 years old, uh, I came to faith in Christ. At 16 years old, prior to that, one of the things that I did, just as pretty much as any teenager did who didn't know Jesus, is I used every single word known to man that was considered a cuss word in about every sentence I could use. And so I tried to fit how many four-letter words I could fit into a five-word sentence. That was kind of my plan. And I remember being a lost kid, and this was just the language that I used every single day like it was normal, like lost people do, right? 
I remember the day that I came to faith in Christ. Billy Graham crusade through my hometown, realized I was a sinner, repented of my sins, and trusted Jesus for salvation. And it was instantly, instantly, God took that from me. He took it from me. And so when I look back on my life and go, how do I know that I'm a believer? For one, it's, it's, it's how I talk. I don't talk like I did when I was 15 years old. I don't talk like I did even, fortunately, praise the Lord, that I don't talk the same way I did when I was 16 years old, even after being saved. Because God has delivered me from that sinful, filthy talk. And the same is different. You may not have had the same struggle, but how it is that we communicate with one another? How do we talk with one another? What do we say to people? How do we talk about people? All these different things that we do. It is a, if we can control our tongue, whether that's the words that we say that blaspheme the name of Jesus, whether that's the words that we say that talk down on somebody else, all of those things, if we can control those, it's an extreme of spiritual maturity and discipline. Because our words have serious impact on our entire spiritual condition. In verse 3, James says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses, uh, horses so that they obey us, we guide, we guide their whole bodies as well. How many of y'all, uh, anybody, I don't know, how many of y'all been on a horse? Raise your hand. We've all, many of us have done it. I like horses. I like horses from afar. Love horses from, I like watching them on TV even better. Horses are massive animals. I get a little bit nervous around them. When I was um, in, in college, my first church I served at was at First Baptist Church, Colgate, Oklahoma, 85 miles from Oklahoma Baptist University. We'd drive one way, get there early, leave early in the morning, get there, do the church thing, stay all afternoon in a hotel uh, or at the church, and then do the night thing, and then drive all the way back. Spent all my day on Sunday. It was great. Great experience. I was terrible at what I did, but uh, it was great. I feel sorry. I feel like I need to pay them back uh, for those uh, two years that I spent there. Um, but it was a great experience. I learned a lot. But one of the opportunities I had is we had uh, one of our youth workers there had a horse farm um, out in Ada, Oklahoma, out in the middle of nowhere. And so she, uh, when Bev and I, we were engaged, uh, and uh, Bev and I went to her family's home, and we got to ride a horse. We got to ride some horseback riding that afternoon. It was great because I didn't have to sit, you know, and, and try to f walk around the Walmart for the 30th thousandth time to do something in the afternoon. So we went horseback riding. It was great. Bev got on this, uh, got on this horse that... Um, was, uh, uh, she was with child, and so we got on the horse, and she, just slow little walk, like, dun, 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 around, it was great, great little ride, whatever, they put me on a horse, and they said, now this is, this is, um, this horse is, it's a little young, and, um, um, uh, we, we've kind of bred her as a race horse, but she's not that fast, just make sure you pull on the reins, and I was like, done, I was 21 years old, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I got this covered. Well, I get on this horse, and we're just slowly going. And the horse is chill. The horse I'm on, I can't remember what it was called. It should have been named Rocket, but it wasn't. And I get on this horse, and we're just chilling. We're just walking. Wasn't a problem at all. And then we decided to get off the property and get, and get onto a road and kind of walk down the side of the property a little bit. And so um, apparently when this horse saw gate, gate meant run. As soon as we got out of the gate... Out of the gate, I kid you not, this horse had a little, I couldn't see its eye, but had a little glisten in his eye. And it was just like, now is my moment. And I didn't know his moment was coming. I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is great. We're just kind of wrong. And next thing I know, soof, horsepower kicked in like you'd never seen. And that horse was off to the races. I didn't know what to do. 
But all I could hear in the back coming um, was, pull the reins. And so I'm pulling the reins as hard as I can, so hard. I mean, we're, I, I guarantee if we were going, if we were going 50 miles an hour, I wouldn't be surprised. I was scared to death. Um, but I'm sitting there. I don't know what I'm doing. And we're just raiding. Going fast. And I don't know what's happening. I have no idea what's happening. And I'm pulling on this reins. And I can see, I mean, this horse was mocking me. It really was. Because I would pull on the reins and it's eye. He had one eye on the road. He had the other eye on me and he was winking at me. Like, this is going to happen. Like, that's how it happened. And we were flying, 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 flying. And I didn't know, I mean, I was pulling. His head was completely around and he was still going forward. I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. I'm going, what are you doing? He's looking at me. What are you doing? I was like, I don't know what's going on. And it just happened. And then all of a sudden we're heading to this other gate. And this gate was closed, which to me means gate means stop. And I'm just thinking, one of two things is going to happen. We're going to hit the gate. I'm going to flip over. And number two, he's going he's to launch over. And we're going to just make this awesome, like, memory. Um, <laughs> that's all I could think of. It was going to be in this, I don't know, it's like I was in a Western movie. It's going to be great. And he, I kid you not, when he got within three and a half inches of that gate, he put the brakes on. I go up onto its neck and grab a hold of the neck. Then, they put, then he stops and turns around. And I'm like, oh. Praise the Lord. And he shot off again, going the other direction. And then the next thing that happened, shot. it didn't matter what I did on that, on that bit. He just kept moving. He kept moving. And finally, I guess I twisted his neck around two or three times, and he finally decided to stop. But that bit finally did its work. I think maybe. Maybe he just got tired. I don't know what happened. But we've all been around horses to know that most horses, now this is a different story. Most horses, all you have to do is you have to pull the rein a little bit on the left. It'll, it'll go that way. A little bit on the right. Go that way, unless it's a horse that's made to go straight for um, really fast for a long time. But the bit controls the entire animal. They're massive animals, massive animals, and the bit controls it and what it wants to do. In verse 4, he continues, he said, look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. I mean, think, think about these big, massive cruise ships. Many of y'all have been on cruise ships. Now, they have multiple rudders in the back, and I know they can do some stuff, variable speeds and the propellers and things like that to get them to turn. But nonetheless, it still requires a rudder that moves back and forth that is a fraction of the size of the entire ship. And that entire ship will be moved with just a little bit of a rudder, movement of the rudder. Think about when you're going down Drake's Creek in your kayak or your canoe or whatever, and you're kind of going, you kind of got the, the current with you. You can paddle on both sides and get you to go left or right, but a lot of times all it takes is to stick that paddle out the back, and all you have to do is move it a little bit one way or the other, and it'll just take you right where you need to go. Regardless of how big the canoe is or how big the ship is, it's just a little bit of rudder that controls the direction of the ship, wherever the pilot goes. Whether you're piloting a horse or whether you're piloting a boat, it's just a little bit here and there. And all these things are good, right? A bit is a good thing. It moves you one direction to the other, the horse one direction to the other. The oar or the paddle, good thing. Rudder, good thing. One direction or the other. It's these small things that influence greater things. That happens with our words. How many of y'all have been around or maybe, maybe you... Um, well, we can talk about this just relationally, right? I mean, husbands. I've had a week. It's been a, uh, it's been a week you'd like to draw back some words. Wasn't anything negative. I didn't mean to plan to say anything negative, but the words just kind of came out and were negative. Didn't mean it. And you sit there, and as soon as they're out, you're going, oh, no, I wish I could bring those back in, and they can't. Because it's going to happen, right? Like, those things happen. 
So we can use, we can use words. Words are, words are great. We can use them to, um, to do good things. But, but small words influence greater things. And so if my wife were here, she could say amen to all this stuff. But we have a sick kid today. But when I, there have been plenty of times when I've said something that I didn't mean to say. The way it sounded like I was saying it. It sounded great in my head. It didn't come out that way. And it was a small thing that has impacted a large uh, uh, part of our day that we get to sit and I get to spend my day apologizing for it. I didn't mean for it to come out like that. But we've done that not just with relationships. We've done it in work relationships where we've said something and uh, it came out one way and maybe you didn't think one thing or it was bad, but somebody took it worse than what it really meant. And so then you've had to You've kind of had to bridge this gap, this, this chasm that you've caused in a relationship. Why? Because the words that come out of our mouths affect and they influence almost every aspect of our life. Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Oh, that is so true. If your wife is a words of affirmation lady, like my wife is, that just, you come in, you just tell her how beautiful she is, how wonderful she is. All these different things just builds her up, builds her up. Because a tree, uh, uh, the gentle tongue is a tree of life. It's a good thing. But then he transitions here, and he says in in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Just like the bit in the rudder, it's a small thing, but it can also, the small fire can start an enormous blaze. We see this every year, every year in California. That's why we're under a burn ban now, right? We don't want to have a fire with a small spark could create just this huge fire. So while the tongue is small and has considerable power, it can have massive and disastrous widespread consequences. I mean, just think about uh, June 4th, 1940, in the House of Commons, Winston Churchill. He says this. He says, uh, probably one of his most famous speeches, he says, We shall fight on the beaches, and we shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seams, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to rescue and the liberation of the old. And so he says that in the House of Commons. Like, I mean, you can just kind of feel it. you just like, there's this energy behind it. It's a good thing, using his words for good. Why was he using his words at this point? Because somebody else previously had been using words for bad. This dude named Hitler who had then used words, his words, to radicalize a nation of people in an effort to, er- to eradicate an entire ethnic group. And so you have, we can use our words for good, but we can also use our words for bad. And we have to be incredibly careful. And we have to understand that while the tongue is small, it has considerable power and it can do massive damage. In verse 6 he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. We see that happen in our, uh, in our own lives. The tongue is, is uh, set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the inti- in the entire course of life, and set on fire 
by hell. He says that the words that cause destruction are from the very pits of hell. The evil one feeding us these words so that he can, in fact, cause destruction. He says in verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. Is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Restless evil, never stopping. Never stopping. Always on the lookout. Paul says in, in Romans uh, 13, speaking of people who are far from God, and he says, uh, he says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, which is a, is a snake, is under their lips. I feel you, Lord. Five minutes. All right. Coming to a close. That was my time. That was timely back there. That AV booth, they got appreciated last week, and now they're, they're making sure it happens. Like, your timer's up. Where was I? <laughs> so he says that, thank you. <laughs> he says that, that their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. It is full. Our words are full of deadly poison. And we've seen that in relationships over and over and over again. It's no different than our relationship with one another, no different than our relationship with the Lord. Nothing. It is full of deadly poison and can kill. So this genuine faith is a journey of self-control. James is exhorting us, you and I, to control our words, for the words we say can either build up or they can destroy. So when it comes to our words, yes, we have a warning to look at, we have a journey to look toward, but we also have a condition to look into. In verse, uh, verse 9, he says, with it, talking about the tongue or with our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Can you, can you see what he's picturing here? Is this, what, what has happened in this place this morning as we stand and the praise team, student praise team leads us? What is happening this morning is that we bless our God and Father. We worship him. The words that roll off our tongue as we sing are worshipful and sing about who he is and how wonderful and awesome he is. But at the same mouth, we leave this place and on the drive to lunch or in the, in the foyer out the way, we're cursing somebody else. It's with the same mouth we do these things. So what he's, what he's revealing here is a condition of the heart. He's he is revealing the hypocrisy in our heart to bless and to curse, to worship and to condemn. It's not lost on me that there are guys very, in this position at this very moment who are standing in this position who are proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the transformation power of the gospel, who are using their words to do so, who are the very guys who will step off this platform here shortly and walk out these doors and then bless and curse. The people around them. Like, it's not lost on me. I mean, who am I? Because I'll use words to intimidate, to ridicule to slander someone else. And he says here, the, the very people who are made in the image of God. Image of God. They have value and worth. Dignity. 
He says, it ought not to be so. And then he goes on to the end. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It is absolutely impossible for a spring, fresh spring water to produce salt water. What is he saying here? He's saying that the only way that the only way that we can be changed, the only way that we can be what God has created us to be, the only way for us to use our words for the glory of God and for the love of people is if we have a transformed heart. That's it. The only way that we can use our speech to glorify the Lord is to have a transformed heart. Because pure speech is the product of a renewed heart. As believers, we can't spit one thing negatively, salt water-ish, if you will, at some person, and then come back and sing, worship to the Lord like a pure spring. He's saying we have a condition of our heart and it needs to be transformed. And the only way that we can produce right and good and holy speech is if our heart is renewed. Because what is, what's, what is in the spring comes out of the spring. And the fruit of the tree is what it's going to produce. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart, of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, his evil, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart the mouth speaks. So we, what comes out of our mouth is in fact what is in our heart. So church, how can we pursue genuine faith and not control what we say? Pastor Sinclair Ferguson, he asked this question. He says, when you speak, do you speak like someone who sounds like a little Jesus because you have found pardon and renewal in Christ? At the end of the day, that is what spiritual maturity looks like, or better, sounds like, because of the transform transformation of our use of our tongue. So we sit here as believers. If we are transformed and truly transformed, Old, gone, new, in, we will be transformed. And how do we know that? It's by how we use our words. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Again, Matthew chapter 12 says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Our words will either lead us to condemnation or to salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth, you speak these words, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'm certain today that the only response from each and every one of us in this room is repentance. Church members repenting for the things that we've said. Christian for the things that we've, we've said things to and about and not in a good way. We seek forgiveness for our hypocrisy. And if, you are a, if you're not a Christian here today, repentance of sin and coming into a faith 
into a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we always want to give you that opportunity to. We don't want you to leave this place without, without knowing about, that God loves you, that he desires a relationship with you. And all it takes is for you to speak words of repentance, to repent of your sin and trust him as salvation. If you're here today and you've never done that, let today be the day of your salvation. Christian, for us, it's repentance. Maybe it's a brief moment of prayer as, as our student praise team leads us in worship here in just a second, our final song. Maybe it's time to repent and spend some time. Maybe how we've responded to one another. Maybe it's how we've responded to our spouse or wife. Maybe it's a, a, how we've responded to somebody at work. Whatever it may be, let today be. It's a time of repentance.